This sermon was recorded as part of Grace City Church's series, A People Prepared, exploring the Apostle Paul's letter to the Ephesian church. Thank you for listening, and we pray that this sermon encourages you in your faith. Morning, everyone. <laughs> so I'm speaking on Ephesians 2, picking right, right up where Mike left off last week. Um, and the passage I'm speaking on talks a lot about the Jews and the Gentiles, so I just want to talk a little bit about who the Jews and the Gentiles were that we're talking about. So you're probably familiar with the Jewish people. They were God's chosen people, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Joseph. They were enslaved in Egypt, and then God rescued them out of that. They wandered the desert and eventually brought into the Promised Land, which is um, modern-day Israel and Syria sort of area. And the Gentiles were everyone else. If you weren't Jewish, you're a Gentile. Most of us here are probably Gentiles. Um, and one of the big things that distinguished these two people groups, aside from you know, the Jews being God's chosen people, is that they had the law of Moses. So when God brought them out of Egypt, um, you know, Moses was up on Mount Sinai, and God gave him all these laws and, and um, rules about ceremonies and unclean food and holy days and all sorts of different things for the Jewish people to follow. And the purpose of this was to rein in their sin a little bit. Obviously, they still did sin. They weren't perfect just because they were God's chosen people, but they had this law to kind of keep, keep them contained, as it were. And the Gentiles didn't have any of this. So even up until where this passage is, um, where Paul's writing to the Ephesians, the Gentiles didn't have any of this law. They didn't know any of these rules. They didn't know about the holy days. They didn't know of any of the promises that God had for them. And there was a lot of um, discrimination between these two people groups. Uh, there's a picture of the temple that it was in Jerusalem. So this is a scale model. If you want to, if you go to Jerusalem, you can see this. Um, but there's this little fence on the side, and that was the fence that the Gentiles couldn't cross. So they could come and worship at the temple, but they weren't allowed past the fence. So they could worship, they could bring sacrifices, but then, you know, a Jewish priests had to come in and take the sacrifice into the rest of the temple that they weren't allowed into, and. The next picture is where Ephesus is. So that was some of the segregation, but Ephesus is quite, a far, quite, quite far away from where Jerusalem is. Um, so there was not a, as, many of, as big of a Jewish population in Ephesus as there was in Jerusalem, of course, but there was still a big population there. And there's obviously Jews, there was a lot of Gentiles, and then thanks to Paul and the planting of his church, there was a, new, a growing population of Christians at this time. So that's about the background. We've got a lot of discrimination between these two people groups. So I'm just going to start with verse 11. So, therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at the time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So I just want to start, this verse starts off with therefore. It's not a new idea, but it goes straight on from what Mike was talking about last week, that we're made alive in Christ, that we're you know, made new again, that he's redeemed us. And this isn't a new topic, but it's straight after that. God's redeemed us, and then this. And straight away, Paul's calling out you know, both the Jews and the Gentiles for their discrimination against each other. The Jews had this pride about them because they had the law of Moses. They had, you know, these rules. They, 
followed. They thought they were more righteous, that they were better off. And the Gentiles despised the Jews because of that. And at the same time, the Jews looked at the Gentiles as inferior because they didn't have any of these laws. They didn't know God's promises. And straight away, Paul calls them out on that. He says, you were called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in flesh by hands. It's not a spiritual thing that happened. The circumcised was, you know, the Jews were circumcised, but it was just a, I mean, it was done by people. God didn't do it. It wasn't this magic, you know, redemption factor that all the Jews had, but it was done by human hands. It didn't bring them any more closer to God than anyone else. And he says to the Gentiles that they were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise. You know, that was another thing as part of the law of Moses is we, they had this, these promises from God that he would bring a descendant to save them out of Abraham's bloodline, and then later, more specifically, a descendant from David's bloodline, and that was Jesus. And then he brings verse 13, where he says, But now... In Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. As that song was just saying, old things have passed away. You know, we, we've died away, but now we're brought near by the blood of Christ. We were strangers to the covenants of promise. We were like the Gentiles, having no hope in the world. These old things, you know, these rags that we had, but then God's made them beautiful by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we see that for all people, it's not just for a specific group that Paul's talking about here. The Jews have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The you know, Anglican church across the street, they've been brought near by the blood of Christ. The Gen Zs have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Anyone who believes in what Jesus has done for them, that he's died and rose again, leaving our sin in the grave, has been brought near by the blood of Christ. The last verse that Um, in what Mike was speaking about last week, said, it is a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. It is only by the blood of Christ. This isn't by anything we can do. It's not our acts. It's not our, you know, following the law. It's nothing that we can do. It's only by believing Jesus has redeemed us that we're brought near to God. Verse 14 says, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he, might can create in, that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Now this first line, he says, for he himself is our peace. And this isn't a sentimental kind of peace where, you know, life is pretty good, you know, I feel happy, I'm content, but it's actually a really radical peace really radical peace. We've been speaking on Friday nights at Youth that you know, we've been going through this series called Radical Youth, and each week we kind of take a new topic, and we talk about that, how this um, can make us radical for Jesus, that it's not, you know, Jesus hasn't called us to just stand by and live our lives day by day, but to actually be radical for him, to live out in faith, to step out in him, to be persistent in, you know, times of trouble. And that's what God's done here. He's saying, Paul's saying, for he himself is our peace. And for the Jews, or for the Gentiles, one of the ways that he did this was by breaking down this law of Moses. When Jesus came and died on the cross, the law of Moses was no longer needed to keep the Jews in line. It was Jesus who, who saved us. Jesus is the one who redeems us, who makes us, makes us whole again. 
Michael Eaton says this, he says, peace is reconciliation with God. It then leads to peace of conscience, peace within ourselves, and peace within our relationships. So for the Jews and Gentiles, he removed this law that was dividing them. But for us, he's done the same thing. It may not be specifically this law of Moses, but he's removed all barriers that separate us. Anything that we put up that can you know, divide us from each other. Because he's brought us into one body. He's brought us in to be the church. Not just a church, but the church. God's church. Creating one new people in place of two. And the Jews and the Gentiles, there was obviously a lot of discrimination there. And another quote from Michael Eaton about discrimination says, it always involves pride, a blindness to the other person's viewpoint, and a wrong sense of values. And I think that's a fantastic way to look at discrimination. We kind of get caught up in, you know, well, it's just hateful people who discriminate. But, you know, I think we all do it from time to time. It's something that involves the pride of ourselves and a blindness to the other person's viewpoint. What it, another way to say it is it's looking as if worldly things matter. It's not looking at, you know, what Jesus has done for us, that he's came and redeemed us, but it's that, you know, we're making worldly things more important, worldly situations, whether it's, you know, age or race or ethnicity or socioeconomic standing. You know, Jesus has broken down all these barriers between us. We're all made one in him. All these barriers fall away, and when we put God as our foundation, that's when these barriers fall away. That's when these dividing walls break down and we have God as our peace. God created his church to be one people with all of our differences. These differences shouldn't be barriers, but we should really encourage each other in them, encourage each other in our differences and our strengths, and to be one church. I had a picture when I was preparing this of um, someone walking with concrete blocks on their feet, and they kind of couldn't really make progress walking. They'd take steps, but they were really short steps, and it was a lot of work, and they weren't really making a lot of progress. And when we have these barriers up, I think it really feels like that sometimes. We feel like we're not, we're not reaching God, that we're hindered because this you know, thing is a distraction in our mind, or we're you know, not really coming to God because we've got these barriers that are keeping us apart. And as a people prepared that we've been talking about, a people prepared shouldn't have any barriers between anyone. God's called us to be one church without barriers in him. Verse 17 says, And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. And Paul says he came and preached peace to you. And of course the he we're talking about is Jesus. He's saying Jesus came and preached peace. But Jesus never went to Ephesus. If we look at the map again, Ephesus is really far away from Jerusalem, where Jesus was. He never made it that far. So how can Paul say that he came and preached peace to us, to the Ephesians? Well, it's because Paul was a Christian. Paul you know, believed what Jesus had done for him. He'd met Jesus, and he'd, he has the same access to, to God that we have. Paul was the one who planted the church in Ephesus. Paul and was the one who spoke and, you know, spread the gospel to those in Ephesus. And even though he's saying here, he came and preached peace to you, it was God speaking through Paul. And Paul wasn't this supernatural guy who was, you know, better than all others. He was a Jew. He had a pretty incredible testimony. But he doesn't have a special access to God that we don't have. We all have the same access to the Father that Paul had. And 
that, that's what he's saying here. He's saying that he, when he says Jesus came to speak to Ephesus, it was Paul who came to, spoke, came to speak, but God was speaking through him. And we can communicate with him at any time. This isn't a limited access. It's not, you know, nine to five on a weekday, but it's at any time. Whatever our posture is, whatever we've got going on in our minds, whatever we're, you know, if we're whispering under our breath, you know, on the train, if we're, you know, praying out loud at a prayer meeting on Saturday mornings, come to those. Um, <laughs> we all have the same access to the Father. Verse 19 says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens and saints and members with the household of God. So how can we create barriers between each other when God calls us all members of his household? Last year, towards the end of the year, I became an Australian citizen. Pretty straight connection. But it was a lot of work. It took probably about five years. It was all sorts of paperwork and money, and I'm sure a few of you here understand the pain and suffering that goes into it. <laughs> but now I've done it. It's, you know, weight off my shoulders. I'm a citizen. I get Medicare. I can vote. I have, I can hex my uni fees. But, I mean, how much greater is it to be citizens of the household of God? You know, citizens of a country is one thing and all this work, but Jesus already died for us. He's made us citizens of his household. And how much greater are those benefits to have access to the Father at any time, to be able to commune with him, to to be with him at any point. As Christians, we're brothers and sisters in his household. It's, it's a God-given fact. <laughs> Verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the, with the saints and you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple of the Lord. In him you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. If you don't know, these uni fees come from, I'm studying structural engineering, and I've worked a lot with buildings. Designing buildings is a lot of work. There's a lot of math and calculations that goes into designing a building to be able to withstand the elements, to withstand the people in it. And God's designed his church in the same way. He's designed each of us to be a part of this building, to have our strengths, to do you know, certain things that he's given us gifts for, but also to work together, to work as one building. We're not you know, like Stonehenge where we're separated. You know, there's a big rock over here. This one's fallen on the ground. But he's made us together as one building, as one church with all of our strengths, with all of our differences. And with Christ himself as being the cornerstone. And the cornerstone is it's the first, first big block that's laid, and all the other stones of the foundation have to fit with this cornerstone. And Christ is our corner, cornerstone. We're not just a building isolated on itself. Even as one building, we're not isolated, but we're built on Christ. We're built around him. We have to fit in with his word, with what he says. And I just want to mention quickly, because I think this is a whole other sermon series, but verse 20 says, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And one of the key things about apostles and prophets is that they're sent by God and they hear God. The Greek word for apostle means sent, a person sent. And the, for a prophet, it means interpreter. And if we're built on the foundation of these apostles and prophets, we're hearing God. 
they're sent by God, they're hearing God, and we're built on their foundation, our church will be acting God's will. And this isn't a stagnant building. It's not just built once and done. It's not just, you know, an isolated building here, an isolated building there, but we're one church. We're adding to the church daily. Mike spoke last week about being the, the God being the head and the church being the body and the, body, the church being, you know, God's extension here on earth. And that's what he's called us to do. He's called us to be growing his church, to be adding people to it, to be adding to the, the building, this dwelling place of God. And it's not just Gray City Church, it's worldwide. It's everyone who believes in him. It's the small church in the town that I grew up in back in middle of America. It's um, City Gate Church in Burundi that Donna's leading. It's all of regions beyond. It's all of us. And it's not even just regions beyond. It's, like I said, it's the Anglican church across the street. It's anyone who believes in him is part of God's church. It's the Asbury revival that's been happening in Kentucky, if you guys have seen that. It's been incredible stuff. And they're part of God's church. We're not separated from them in that way. And this building, it's living, it's, it's made for God, and it's a dwelling place for him. Just as God came to live in the tabernacle when the Israelites were roaming the wilderness, God came to live in the tabernacle. The temple in, that Solomon built, God came to dwell in the temple. And in the same way, he comes to dwell in his church, to dwell in all of us. And it's interesting, Paul specifically says that this... We're being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. He doesn't say that he dwells in us individually, though I believe that's true. Paul's talking about the church. He's talking about us together. We're not individual items. We're built as one church, as one full structure to be a dwelling place for God. And when we come together as this church to be his dwelling place, that's when God acts. That's when he, he comes. Like we have these amazing worship times. It's us being the dwelling place for his spirit. So I just want to emphasize this heart for you as I wrap up. To love, God loves you enough to give you this full access to him anywhere, anytime, to bring us together into one church who's, who's built to be his dwelling place. He's brought us in to be citizens of his household, to be in his family. And maybe that's something that's been a struggle for you that you've been hurt or um, torn down by your family, but God's brought you in to his family, and how much greater is that? And if that hasn't been the case, maybe, you know, your family's been, you know, great, supportive, and loving. Still, how much greater is it to be in God's family? And maybe it's been this, um, this word I had about having the concrete blocks on your feet has has struck a chord, that you're being hindered by these barriers, and it feels like you're not making progress, that you're, you're not really accessing God because you've got these barriers up between you and between others. God's already removed these barriers for us. He's taken down the barriers when he died on the cross and when he rose again. Any barriers that we have up are barriers that we put up. They're not barriers that God's got in place. Thank you for listening to this sermon. To engage with Grace City Church further, please check out our website, gracecitychurch.net, where you can find links to our socials. Or come visit us in person. All are welcome. God bless.